we're recording. Great. Hello, everyone. Good day. Welcome to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements. My name is Alistair, Alistair Davis from Cape Town in South Africa. And today we have an ordinary guest. He said that we should call him an ordinary guest, but he has a very special responsibility. We have Andy Searle. He is the CEO of Bapesa, and he's worked in the global business and services sector since 1988, focusing on the economic growth of the sector, job creation, and skills development. He is an athlete. He is Andy. Welcome, Andy. Thank you very much, Alistair. Thank you. <laughs> so, Andy, why do you like Joel Friel as an author? So you've been digging a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> he <after> is. <laughs> Good for you, Alistair. So he's a, um, an athlete and uh, a coach and, a, and an incredibly successful coach of, of world champions and triathlon. But most importantly, he coaches using science and, um, and adopts a very fact-based approach to the business of sports. And what I was really um, looking for at the time I came across him was um, a way to structure training because my, my interest at that stage was in triathlon and uh, to do it competitively. Yep. And I was fascinated by, um, by his research, by his coaching methods. Um, and, and I found, apart from that being really helpful and effective for the sports of triathlon, increasingly um, I found the... the the lessons learned from that to be equally applicable to the workplace. And, and that's always been a curiosity of mine because um, since starting work um, after leaving school, I've always focused on um, people in some shape or form and, and how to work with the people around you, the teams you work with, to yep. really extract the greatest value from those people in terms of and their greatest potential from those people in terms of their individual capabilities, performance capabilities, including myself. So um, that's where Joe Frill fits into my life and uh, where the interest in, in his um, methodologies and approach to, to sport in particular fits in, but is applied equally, I think, in the world of work. Okay. So for those of you or for the listeners out there who don't know who Bapisa is, Bapesa, Bapisa, can you tell us what Bapisa is? And obviously you're the CEO, but what Bapisa is and uh, what's the vision for Bapisa? Well, I'll, I'll just pronounce it slightly differently, but there's nothing wrong with the way you say it. Uh, so I'll just pronounce it as Bapesa. Mm -hmm. um, and it stands for Business Process Enabling South Africa. That's what it's an abbreviation for. And BPESA is an industry body. It's a not-for-profit organization. And its members come from um, a sector of the economy, which over the last few years has started to be more clearly defined than previously, called Global Business Services. Yep. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's synonymous to a large extent for most people with call centers, um, but that's not um, the full scope of what Global Business Services includes by any means. So it includes call centers or um, customer contact centers, but it also includes non-voice-based work, so a lot of processing work, um, areas of specialization like finance and accounting, mm -hmm. um, legal services, 
research um, and of course um, the ICT sector as well, particularly where there's outsourcing. Its mm -hmm. primary focus is on um, those activities that are, are either outsourced to a third party yeah. or those activities that are centralized and delivered within a group of companies or corporate as a shared service. Um, yeah. And more often than not, those, those are either done um, offshore um, with a third party or onshore, mm -hmm. or which would obviously be in the same, the same country as, as that company operates, or yeah. in some cases we refer to nearshore, which would be pretty adjacent to where you are. So for example, in our world, nearshore could be Zimbabwe or it could be um, Kenya. You know, in the USA, nearshore could be um, various islands, South America, Mexico, um, different countries, etc. So that's okay. it. We, yeah, we, we represent um, companies that provide these services and the suppliers that support them, um, the vendors that make up that supply chain. Okay. And how important is this to a job creation perspective from a job creation perspective in South Africa and indeed globally? Well, the sector is very important in both in South Africa and in the global context for a couple of reasons. Um, the, the first, because it's a, um, a services sector and there's a huge growth that we're seeing across the world in services. Um, particularly because they're becoming more and more enabled by technology, mm -hmm. um, the likes of which we're using now. And yep. so services can be delivered more virtually, and not only virtually, but in a hybrid model where they can still be delivered from a physical center, but they can also uh, be delivered purely using technology. And they can be delivered from anywhere and almost any time. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that, that makes it a... Um, a very key component um, of the global economy. In the South African context, where we face huge challenges, and this was before COVID, um, with economic growth, particularly stimulating any form of growth in the domestic market, the services sector where we are typically exporting services into um, countries that have much stronger currencies relative to us, has been a have been sectors that have been growing the most. So whether it's tourism um, or it's our sector, um, it could also span into some of the combined product and service sectors like manufacturing, especially automotive. Um, you know, the weak exchange rate has created a huge window of opportunity for demand and growth for South Africa. Mm. The other reason it's such an important sector is because the young people who work in that sector don't have to have um, a qualification or an extensive amount of post-school education. They have to have certain basic competencies um, uh, they must have the right attitude, which is really important. Um, but it's a sector that allows uh, millions of young people who um, normally would not have access into the world of work to access really good quality jobs that, that are also highly transferable um, with the skills that they have into other sectors mm. and that pay good salaries and, and offer good benefits. So in our world, this sector is a sector that has um, arguably the highest growth in the economy in terms of jobs. Um, we've added just over 26,000 jobs to the economy in the last 18 months yep. and um, are on track to um, add 100,000 over a five-year period. Well, we were prior to COVID. That's, that's been seriously challenged now and it's going to take a lot to, to get back onto that growth trajectory. 
Yeah. Um, and prior to COVID, we looked at a target of even 500,000 by um, the year 2030. So, so hopefully that gives you a sense of, you know, kind of the, the opportunity for South Africa in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand coronavirus, COVID-19, has had an impact on the global economy, not only South Africa's economy, but how do you think, I mean, I mean, this also offers perhaps an opportunity, perhaps technology could be used as a way to allow a decentralized version of business process outsourcing. Do you think that in five years time, maybe virtual technologies, technologies will be, will enable people to, work from distributed hubs or from home? How do you see that playing out? Well, in many um, parts you know, of the developed world, that's, that's been happening for quite some time. So ironically, and it's, it's tragic that it takes a, a pandemic of this proportion, you know, and with this sort of threat to our people to kickstart us into action to do something we should have started on a long time ago. Yeah. Um, as you know, I mean, the vast majority of people who are working in the economy, both in the formal sector and informal sector, when they go back home, they don't have fiber cables, you know, fiber networks connecting them into the internet. They don't have um, affordable data. They don't have, um, you know, good communications capabilities. So um, as much as this has forced us into looking at a hybrid of, of work on premise and work from home, um, not everybody is even able to to do that um, simply because they don't have the tool sets and the um, the core infrastructure to enable that. And th what I think that's going to be what that is doing, and you can see it, it's just forced, um, you know, the, the speed with which changes are introduced at a policy level as well as a business practice level on the ground is it's, it's getting us to do what we should have done a long time ago, unlock spectrum, and change our licensing, encourage more competition in the sector, cut costs on data, roll out fiber, um, connect the communities across the country, and do so with a sense of urgency. We're doing mm -hmm. it now just to protect people, stay alive. We should have been doing it a long time ago to um, enable people and our, our country to be a real player in the digital economy. But mm -hmm. it's never too late, and we're on that journey now. For, for all sorts of reasons, including those we never intended. And it is going to shape our future. We're not going to ever go back to the world that we came from. And we are going to be working more and more remotely. And it's going to help us achieve a lot. It's going to help us get work delivered from source instead of having people have to spend a fortune in transportation mm. fees, catching taxis into the workplace. Going to save time, save money, allow many, many more people to access um, good quality work from home mm -hmm. and it's going to allow us to be to to tap into a greater working population who can very easily be equipped with the skills to work in not just this sector but in others as well um, mm. and it's going to certainly fast track the globe and the world economy into the digital economy that we've always been talking about so mm. you know f from the disaster that we experience will come very good things um, and both from a, a socio-economic point of view and purely an economic point of view. And, mm. and technology is showing us, you know, when we're forced to, how effective it can be. Um, yeah. And if we can take these lessons and we can be a bit more deliberate, you know, in a, in a, a proactive and planned approach to um, enabling our, our country to compete 
um, we will, you know, down the line when we've recovered from this, have arguably a much brighter future than when we entered the COVID pandemic. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And what virtual technologies are you using or what virtual technologies and strategies do you, do you see becoming more apparent in this sector? I'm asking for this sector in South Africa, but also maybe you can share with other people who might be listening to this podcast, where is this going? Where, what specifically the technologies or the strategies, what, what, what is going to happen? What is happening? Well, what will happen? Firstly, let's start off with what, what is happening. So, and what has happened as well is important to note. So, so this sector is no stranger to, to virtual work. Um, the um, telephony and data technology that we've used um, from the call center platforms and um, switching technology, which over the years has become really integrated and, um, and, besp- and bespoke for communications, has enabled companies to virtualize work across multiple centers across the globe, um, you know, using um, a kind of hub and spoke model. Um, and it's usually been, you know, driven from a, initially from a single premise, maybe with replicated services that synchronize with each other across those different sites. But it's allowed organizations to balance load, access new resources, um, distribute certain types of work to certain areas where they've got key skills that they need, maybe language skills, maybe yeah. lower costs, maybe time zones that are better. So we've lived with that for many years already. Um, the, um, the, the greatest change there that we are in the early stages of and, and moving rapidly into is cloud technology, where instead mm-hmm. of having the, that, that expensive infrastructure on a site or replicated across sites and allowing virtual work that can be moved into the cloud and make, make it far more cost effective um, and far more efficient. So um, from a, a, a core business point of view, um, technology has enabled us to, do, to work virtually for a long time. Mm-hmm. What, what's changing um, would, would be rather the way that you manage security. And we've got a long way to go to ensure that um, the cybersecurity capabilities that protect remote work at, from different devices and through different yep. networks into the, you know, to eventually get behind a firewall into a safe server environment, that that can really be beefed up because when you're dealing with compliance-based work with, you know, other work where you've, you've got um, sensitive data that you're managing, um, yep. you can't just expose that by, by using technology available to work remotely if you don't have the protection um, of that data, voice and, and data. So the, the world's moving rapidly um, you know, to, to develop uh, cybersecurity products and, and tools to make that more and more possible. But we certainly are, are not where we want to be just yet. And then another area of, of virtual technology that's, that's going to play a more important role is, is what we're using now. So um, virtual platforms to engage with each other, and they could be yeah. to engage with each other to learn. So you know, we, we know strangers to virtual coaching, virtual teaching. In fact, we've got call centers in South Africa who teach young Asian people how to speak uh, conversational English. Um, you know, that's done live real time from here into China and other countries yep. in Asia. Yep. Um, so, so we're not, we're not um, new to that at all. What we are new to is managing teams virtually. That, that's not us. You know, um, the, yes, consulting companies 
um, tech companies, you know, where they've got deployment teams on site are used to working in teams and using various tools, et cetera, um, yeah. to, to do that. But, but as a, a, a historically, South African corporates are not good to good at not managing people, you know, within their site. And, and the technology now, well, and before allows us to do it, but we need to go through a fundamental shift in our management paradigm. We need to understand which the, the fourth industrial revolution requires us to, how to manage virtual teams, how to manage cross-functional teams, how to work without physically meeting each other, you know, mm. and be efficient and effective, be accountable and build trust, you know, do all of the things that people do when they're together, but be able to do that when they're apart. Um, mm. How to, how also do you schedule workforces between work for, work, um, physical workforces, work from home workforces, robotic workforces. So, so these are the things that, that we're going to be hitting head on as we move you know, past our recovery phase um, from the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's a good thing. We, we, need, to, we mm. need to understand how to function in that world if as a country we want to play our rightful role on the continent and as a continent we want to play our rightful role in the global economy that emerges in whatever shape or form after COVID, what we know, it will be a highly digitalized shape and form of sorts. It's an interesting point you make because yesterday I spoke to a guy in Wisconsin and he is a doctoral candidate in instructional design, but he's also a serious gamer. And he has set up esports, uh, esports tournaments within high schools, within uh, some businesses as well, I think. But what he said was to make e-learning happen, to make it really happen. And I guess it's e-work we're talking about, e-learning, e-work, e-motivation. If we can call, if we can just coin a phrase now, e-motivation. One of the things that is key is mentorship and engagement. So engaging your audience. So Engagement, engagement, engagement is key from a, a rep that is dealing with a customer in another place. How do you keep them engaged in part of the conversation? But also from a management perspective, like you said, how to keep those virtual teams engaged, engaged to the common cause or keep them motivated, making sure that they're doing their work, building that trust. And that is, I guess, what you're saying is, is you know, that is a, a nuance. It's a, it's a very it's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of it's thinking. A, uh, it's a very different way, Alistair. You, you think, um, and I'm, I'm going to go back to, <laughs> to Joe Frill again um, in the modern world and, um, and, and just connect the dots there from our perspective. But if you think technology has been around, digital learning platforms and digital learning experience, as it's referred to now, um, makes the most of the most incredible technologies, you know, from um, AI, driven learning that, that sources content yep. and, and presents to you only what you need to know, you know, because of who you are and what yep. you're studying and looking at, um, through to online coaching and support. Um, there, it, can do, it can do all of that. It can deliver learning experiences through multiple platforms, including good old face-to-face. -face. It can do that. So that's not new. Um, the, as we talked about, the, the ability to work remotely with your core production tool set is not that new. The biggest single change is the ability of people to work remotely as individuals and together in teams and as businesses in networks, 
you know, the other thing is that the, the model will change so substantially where we, this has also been, you know, um, at play. We, we just are late um, participants in the game. But, but people have long since moved from having a career job into having multiple jobs. Um, and, you know, for the young people in the gig economy, that's their way of life. They're jobbing from one opportunity online to another online and so it goes on. That yeah. is going to be something that will shape our future. So the, the behavioral scientists and um, as well as the, um, the kind of HR practitioners in, in our future world and, and leadership have got to go through massive change in the way we think about how to extract performance out of, out of the best performance out of people. Mm. And people need to go through tremendous change because the security of having a corporate job with a salary, the benefits and everything else, we know now already is, is severely tested. It's, in, it's, in, you know, it's a threat and it's not going to be a given in years and decades to come. You're going to have mm. to learn how to work for yourself, how to motivate yourself, how to set targets and goals, um, how to work with others in order to deliver your own work and get paid. Mm. Um, th these, th that's our reality. So um, as an individual, and that's why the skills that are taught young people today, um, you know, fourth, um, fourth industrial revolution skills um, yeah, are, are so, so important. Because if you aren't equipped with that skill set, in this emerging world that we're going to get into, um, you really are going to have a challenge, you know, to, to fit in. So the, the, the technology will be there. The global yep. drivers, economic and social, will be there. The big question is, will we personally, individually, and will we as management, leadership, you know, the scientists, the, the teachers, will, will we be ready for that? And that's what we've got to work hard at. Yeah, yeah. So... It's a change in management style, management thinking. It's a change in the way managers do. And it's also a change on the other side of how employees motivate and participate. And you as an employee need to get on top of your game in terms of motivating yourself and participating in a virtual team. Though that's what I'm, I'm getting, which are part of the four IR, fourth industrial revolution skill sets. But what have those fourth industrial revolution skill sets been narrowly defined? Do we know what they are? Can we measure them? Do we have programs in place to teach these to the, the new workforce that is coming through or the new virtual workforce? Well, well, we do. Um, so, so these these skill sets are are well understood uh, because many of them have been, um, you know, in use for a while. Um, we're not teaching them anywhere near the way that we should. So, if you look in the South African context, um, we, we don't, you know, uh, teach anywhere enough of the technical four R skills or the behavioural four R skills. So, behavioural skills, you know, around emotional maturity. Self-management, working in teams, um, being accountable, um, being able to, you know, work and 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 absorb data from multiple sources, and 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 being able to uh, apply critical thinking, especially when it comes to discerning fact from fiction, with all the information yeah. we're exposed to. The, the, these are skills that we all need, and I mean, they they know never more evident than than now. You know, we, we've got stuff floating on the airwaves that we don't know whether it's 
absolute nonsense, whether it's yep. truth, what it is, you know. Yeah. So yep. these are fundamental skills that, that we have to apply today. They're not being taught um, adequately um, in the schooling system, in the post-school education system, public and private sector, and in the corporate world. Um, in our sector, we've made a concerted effort to identify those skills across the country to our training providers have been building programs to start addressing them. Um, we've been working closely with our partners in government um, at a city, provincial, national um, education department level as well around gearing up for this um, future world of work. Um, a, lot of, a lot of effort is going into it. We, we work with our partners um, in Harambee where we learn a lot from them around this concept of pathwaying as opposed to just pure you know, linear career development and what that means for agility and learning. Um, the skills that you build that are far more task orientated. So, you know, what skill do I need to execute this task now? Let me get that skill, move on. What skill do I need to execute this task now? Pick that skill up, move on. I don't need a whole qualification to be able to use Excel. You know, um, I just need to use Excel. But it's also the soft skills that go with that. You know, how do I manage myself? How do I deal with my emotions? How do I set my goals? How do I work with others? How do, mm. I, how do I work in a very diverse environment? So these soft skills are also to, to be learned. You know, how do I become more of a critical thinker, a problem solver, a more curious person? Um, these, these we know, we have, we have to build these skills. Um, so I think the issue is not what do we need to do? Um, it's not even to that extent, how do we need to go about doing it? It's just get on with it. You know, and um, let's get doing this. Um, let's get doing it urgently and let's get doing it at scale and let's institutionalize this so that it becomes part of um, the fabric of our, our culture and our society. Mm, mm. And in terms of in tough soft skills, so the 4IR, obviously soft skills, intrapersonal, interpersonal skills, and there's the tech skills. But how have you found you know, let's say you're a 21-year-old or 22-year-old coming into the job market looking for a job. How are their verbal communication skills? Well, the reason I ask that is obviously nowadays, a lot of communication is done through instant messaging, through a host of platforms. And, you know, <laughs> you, can, you can almost see people aren't using phones to talk into it's, it's more a messaging device. And how has that impacted people's ability to communicate verbally? Do you think? Funny enough, funny enough, I, I think what's really happened, and this is in my experience in our sector and uh, just in our kind of network and world of work, is I think the young people who we work with and, and also you know, um, others who've been around for quite a long time um, speak quite well. Um, I think they write terribly. I think their written communication really um, has have a lot to yeah. do. And it, and it creates problems because um, we are able to verbally articulate ourselves a lot better than we do in writing because we practice it so often. It's a core competence to most of us. Um, mm. But we, with, uh, just as you've said, you know, we, we're texting, we're using chat, we're using all sorts of abbreviated forms of written communication. And on top of that, we've got really poor background and grammar, vocabulary, um, you know, the, 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 the basic construct of, of written communication. And, and that's problematic. So the, we, we can't leave that behind. And, um, you know, people, yeah. people b battle, I think, to, 
um, to read because of vocabulary, sentence structure, etc. And there is a risk in getting things wrong. People battle to write. They don't capture things accurately. They don't check their own work. Um, they miscommunicate accidentally. And all of that can lead to quite significant problems depending on what it is that you're doing. But people mm. speak generally pretty well. They, um, and in South Africa in particular, people speak well because they're empathetic, they, they're intrinsically connected people, we engage well as people with each other, um, and that works well. But uh, you need to also have structure and technical competence behind that. What, talk to me about empathy. I mean, I've heard this before about South Africans being empathetic. And that's one of the reasons why the BPO or business process outsourcing seg uh, sector in the country has done well. What does that mean? What, is, what does that mean for in, in your sector? And why is that important if you're going to be dealing with somebody you can't see? Well, let me give you an example. Um, so if you, you take um, a case where a person um, phones into a call center after they've just had an accident, um, either because they're calling an emergency response line or because they, they're phoning in to report that accident to you as the insurance company. It's a first notification of loss. So um, in all, for all intents and purposes, it's just a process that needs to trigger, you know, um, eventually a claim process and hopefully the repair or replacement of your vehicle um, or to get you off to a hospital and hopefully at the end of the day, You've, you've been properly treated and you can recover and go home. Um, in many countries, that's, that's just treated in a very matter-of-fact way. South Africans yep. would first ask when they received that call, you know, how are you? So sorry to hear, you know. Um, who else was with you? Um, do your children know? Do your, do your, does your spouse know about the accident? Can I call them? Can I help them? Um, and then they will get into you know, the detail of what they need to do. And that just yep. comes naturally. That's not scripted. That comes naturally. Um, mm. And it's because we've got a care. You know, there's, there's a, there's a, like I said to you, this, this intrinsic customer centricity based on who we are. We, 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 we care about each other and we, we talk these things through. We consider it. Um, and, um, and that you can't buy. It's priceless. Um, mm. And so when we compete in the voice-based work across many other, uh, you know, for, with many competitors across the world, it is the one thing, apart from the quality of the English language that's spoken, it's the behavioral side, the soft side, that empathy that creates a special connection between the person here and the person on the other side of the call, wherever they are in America, the UK, Australia, Europe, doesn't matter. And, and that connection um, and the way that person is dealt with on that call, and it could be something as traumatic as an accident, but it could also be something as as frustrating as and, and important to get resolved, you know, as a as a complaint that they're logging with you, mm. and th that leads to customer satisfaction, customer retention, and um, at the end of the day, there's immense value in that, um, and so yeah. that's why South Africa now has risen to the top echelon from a quality point of view of voice-based work, especially English language voice-based work. And we hold our own there. We are arguably not in size, but we are um, second or third voice-based country in the world. Um, mm. and, and that's something, you know, that it's ours to lose because the, the ingredients for that actually come naturally. Um, and yeah. so we really, really should capitalize on it. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, it's interesting because I, you know, from doing this podcast, I've interviewed a few people. You are the seventh. <laughs> and uh, one of the, the soft skills, the nuances that have come out, that has come to the fore is to make a virtual engagement work. So to make a virtual meeting, a virtual training, a virtual business service, like what we're talking about now, you have to really elevate the value and the status of your audience. You have to make them the most important. You really have to really, really make it about them, not just pay lip service to that saying, but you have to make it about them because you can't see them. You, you, you're not in the same room as them. So if you want them to come onto your journey or follow you or, or do what you want them to do, you really have to build that trust, that connection. And the way you build the trust and the way you build the connection is making them feel important, more important than they would have felt if you were in the room face-to-face -face with them. I think what you've just said is so important. You know, the trust and connection in a virtual world is, is, is as you say, perhaps more important than if you were face-to-face -face because you can probably, you, you might not be fully trusting of the person, but they're there, they're physical, they're real. You can engage and connect. But like you say, you've got to bring a person into a conversation in a virtual world. You've got to let them feel comfortable. You've got to, you've got to make them feel encouraged and willing to contribute, you know, depending on the, the, the topic of that interaction. I absolutely agree with you, Alistair. Mm, mm, mm. So if you, if you were speaking to um, businesses out there or people who are looking to do business process outsourcing in a virtual space, what are the, what are the requirements? What are the things that they need uh, in terms of skill sets? Like uh, if you can think of the, the top, you know, what do they need from a technical, from a soft skill, from a, what, what, what is it that they need? Well, uh, I think, you know, we've covered on quite a, quite a few of them. So the, when we talk about the people, I'll leave the process and, and technology requirements out of the conversation because we've touched yeah. on those and the security. When we're talking about people, people really um, need to be good listeners yeah. um, because you only have your ears to work with now and not your eyes and your ears and your, and your sense of smell. Yeah. Um, you can't observe a person's, um, you know, kind of physical posture, which tells you a lot often when you're engaging with a person. Um, we, we've got to be clear in our speaking. We, we, have, we don't have an opportunity to pull up a flip chart and illustrate what we think. Yeah. We, yeah. Have to, we have to get it right. Yes, of course, we can share our screens and we can you know, share communication. Um, mm -hmm. We have to learn about um, engaging. We have to bring everybody in that, that session into the conversation um, at the right time for them and based on what you're trying to achieve. You can't have... It's bad enough when you sit in a formal meeting and you've always got you know, a couple of people who are too shy to contribute or don't have anything to contribute or don't want to contribute, you know, and you just ask why they're there in the first place. Yeah. But on a call like this, you, you need to engage everybody. You need them all to be contributing. And, yeah. and I think very importantly, um, these meetings need to be even more structured um, than physical meetings. They need to have a, a clear purpose. They need to have clear roles that the individuals in that session are going to play. Uh, and then you need to create the space for everybody to play that role. It's very mm -hmm. difficult, you know, to manage etiquette like, you know, can I speak please? And putting your hand up. 
can't just have people jump in and to, to virtual calls and the, the ones who shout loudest get all the airtime. Yeah, you, know, you have yeah. to find ways of, of managing participation fairly and equitably. You've got to find ways of showing emotion like, well done, congrats, great idea when it's not your turn to speak. You know, yeah. and so you use the tools that different platforms offer to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we've got uh, these are all. I, I actually think what they what it's doing is it's in, it's enhancing our our communication skills to a level mm. that we've never done before because we've never needed. We've been lazy communicators because yeah. we sit in front of each other. Now we've got to you know, do all these things we're talking mm. about now that you just take for granted when you sit in front of each other. So I yeah. think. There's going to be a lot, and there is already a lot written about uh, virtual communication etiquette, um, you know, um, optimizing the value out of a virtual call and a session, um, the tools to, you know, to deliver it. You can't run through endless PowerPoint slides and content. You need to get key points across. Um, you know, so there's a lot that, that I think business has to think about in terms of um, equipping managers, staff teams, support role pairs, other stakeholders like clients to bring them into virtual sessions effectively. Um, I certainly don't have all the answers, but the yeah. communication experts and, and um, et cetera will, will be constantly evolving these practices and guiding yeah. us and leading yeah. us. A lot of it, I think, is logic. Yeah. <laughs> and the technologies are evolving to respond to that logic. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah it, it, uh, look, it depends on what the purpose is. If it's a, if it's a group call, i.e. a meeting, it's different to a training session or a coaching session um, or a query, um, you know, that's work specific. So it will be very purpose driven and purpose focused. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Well, you've, you've, you've uh, definitely given or espoused in very interesting ideas and very nuanced ideas, specifically in the business process outsourcing space. But before we go, Andy, I'd like to give you the opportunity to uh, promote your organization, what you do, and, you know, maybe potentially for anybody who's listening to this podcast, why South Africa is a good destination to come and do uh, outsourced uh, service centers. Thanks, Alistair. I really appreciate that. So uh, let me start you know, at home, because that's the most important place for me. So I, I, first of all, you know, Bepesa as an industry body is all about um, making a real contribution as a sector to the economic growth and well-being of, of the economy. Um, it's all about um, growing inclusively and giving young people who really need um, and, and deserve an opportunity to have a good job, access to that good job. They've got the talent, they've got the attitude, they've got everything, just not the opportunity. And I think um, this sector really is one sector that's able to fulfill that opportunity, and we should. Um, and that's at an individual level for the startup companies and all the other companies that are part of the supply chain. I think it's a sector um, that's highly collaborative because it has to be. Um, you have competitors working with each other for a, for a a larger purpose and a common goal because if we don't all achieve that we all lose something along the way and mm. so the sector has a culture of collaboration um, of support of of commitment we've got great partners um, who who i must give credit to because i think they're the backbone to um, a strong sector um, and we partner with an organization called harambi youth employment accelerator who focus on um, 
initiatives to change the labor market to make it relevant for our world in the future to um, unblock the obstacles that, that the millions of young unemployed people face, give them an opportunity to show their potential and get into the workplace and demonstrate that and be rewarded for that with a good quality job, with an income to take home, um, you know, with the means to develop themselves and their careers um, in time to come. Um, and they've taught us so much about um, how to unlock that value and performance potential of yeah. the millions of young people in South Africa. That's where my connection of sport and work come together so importantly for me. And we, yeah. we partner with the government. We partner with the DTI. And if, you know, if you've been following what's been going on with COVID, for example, this is when, when the chips are down and they've been down for a while, this is when the partners really stand up for each other. Yeah. And, and, and the DTI has played a massive role um, in ensuring that this sector, which delivers um, key services, it enables us to speak now as we're talking. It enables people to transact and buy um, essential goods and services. It enables people to be picked up by a hospital, um, yeah. you know, by an ambulance. It, these, it, they've supported the sector to keep running and um, to deliver essential services. And critically, they've recognized that we've got the same moral obligation and duty um, locally as we do overseas. So many of our companies um, that, are, that are in this sector have been delivering essential services into um, the Americas, the, the UK, Europe, um, Australia, Africa, um, Asia, and um, the, the details recognize that and through the regulations and directives have, have clarified and supported that from the get-go. And that, that says a lot about this, the sector being a responsible citizen locally and a responsible global citizen. Mm -hmm. And that responsibility is carried by all the partners and all the role players. And it, it, it makes me feel very blessed to be part of a sector that functions like that. You know, I feel that we're in a sector that can meaningfully make a contribution to hundreds and thousands of young people and then their families, yeah. to the economy, to the culture of our society that we're trying to rebuild and to our move into this digital economy. Yeah. So for the countries outside of South Africa, for the clients that have always been incredibly loyal to, to their providers in South Africa through thick and thin, um, and they've been under immense pressure, as you know, other kind of, we're not the only countries in lockdown and yep. around the world, some of the big countries providing their services have faced really difficult times. They've, had to, they've stopped services, et cetera. In spite of all of that, these countries have, have you know, really remained loyal to South African providers as long as humanly possible. And I want to say two things to that community. I want to say thank you. Um, for one, because it, it took a lot, one, to encourage them to invest here. And they did so based on their own conviction of value and impact that they, were, they had. Um, and I want to say also that I think it, it, it speaks a lot, it speaks volumes about South Africa um, standing up to fulfill its obligations and its responsibilities yeah. to the global clients. And that, I believe, is something to be considered for com companies looking at where to outsource their work in the future. It, we have great quality at a really affordable price, but we've got a culture that's been tested in fire, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that says we with you. Yeah. Um, and I think that is going to also really differentiate us as we move, you know, beyond COVID globally. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, definitely. I mean, I'm, I am a South African, so people who are listening to this podcast will know that I'm a South African. But I, I, I have to say, and I have to agree with what you've just said there, we have been tested in fire. The, the country's been through a lot. And uh, I fully believe that we have the people, we have the talent, we have the infrastructure, and we have some, some good ideas. If we, if we come together and we execute on those ideas, we, we can achieve a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Understand. But thank you very much, Andy, for your time, for taking this time on a Saturday. I know that you're a, a busy man. And I want to thank you for the good work that you're doing at Bapisa. I think, you know, the organization is a, is a critical one to this country and it supports, as you say, thousands of, of jobs and extended families. So it's a critical role that you're playing. So thanks very much for, for all the work that you do. Alyssa, thanks so much. It's just been fantastic to chat and, uh, and be on the podcast. And thanks for your efforts in, in engaging me and the others you've, in, you've interviewed. And we really appreciate it. And all the best as we work our way through, through the, the COVID shutdown and most importantly beyond. And hopefully we hook up again in that future. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Andy. Cheers. Good, man. Cheers, Alistair. Cheers.